What's your mission? What's your mission? That's the question today, right? We're talking about our unique mission. We're in the series where we've been talking about calling, about our common calling and our now unique calling and what that looks like. That calling really, it really stems, it germinates from three questions that drive everything for us. Who did God create me to be? What did God create me to do? And where did God create me to go? Those questions help shape our calling. Uh, we've been talking about it in our common calling, the thing that's true for all of us, that, that God has called us to be a disciple. That's who we are. Who makes disciples, that's what we do wherever we are. That's where we go. That's the location. Uh, who am I made to be? A disciple, a, a child of God. Uh, what am I made to do? I'm, I'm made to make other disciples. Where am I supposed to do that? Wherever I am. Last week, we kind of turned the corner. And we said, okay, now we're not talking about our common calling. Now we're talking about our unique calling, what's different for each of us. And we, we talked about from Psalm 139 that David said, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that God has, has shaped all of us differently. He's given us different experiences, different gifts, different all kinds of stuff, and that, that we're unique. We're not some cosmic or genetic accident. We're not, we're, we're not this experiment that God did that went bad. We're not, we're not something that he made and then just kind of put on the shelf and forgot about. God has made us unique in this unique design that's spectacular, that he's proud of, that he loves. He loves us incredibly. The scripture that, that has gone really through everything that we've talked about is from Ephesians 2 because it drives the question that we're looking at today. We are God's handiwork. We're his masterpiece. Created, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Understand this, God created you to do some, something very unique, something very specific, something only you are qualified to do. Think about that for a second. God created you to do something very unique, something specific that only you are qualified to do. God designed us as his masterpiece. We are his hope diamond. We're his Rembrandt. We're his majestic Rocky Mountains. He made us as complex as a thunderstorm. He made us more beautiful than a sunset. He made us more valuable than the purest gold. So what we're talking about today is if God has invested so much in us, what do we do with that? Why did God do that? What did he create us to do? We talked three weeks ago about, when we were talking about our common calling, that, that, that God made us to fill every crack and crevice in the world with the fragrance of Jesus. How's that going to apply to you individually? When, when we take that, when we talk about um, that God designed us uniquely so that his kingdom could have traction here on earth because of what we do, that's that concept. In North Point language, um, God designed us uniquely so that we could impact people with the grace of Jesus so that all people could move towards a, a life fully devoted to Jesus. Paul wrote to the church in Colossia uh, uh, an incredible, incredible couple of messages when he said, whatever you do, 
whether in word or deed, no matter what you do, whether you say it, whether you live it out, whatever, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, that's the action, that's the do piece. Just a few verses later, he said, whatever you do, work at it with your whole heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ Jesus that you're serving. God has given us stuff to do so that we would honor him, so that we would glorify him. He's equipped us, created us to do, to do that. Those works are our unique mission. Those works are our divine personal assignment. Say divine personal assignment. That was pretty weak. Just like Chris said, divine personal assignment. Say that. Now turn to somebody beside you and say, I have a divine personal assignment. Now turn to somebody else and say, no, really, I have a divine personal assignment. Your mission, your divine personal assignment is the mission that you've been given, Mr. Phelps, should you wish to accept it. Your divine personal assignment, your unique mission, is, it, it, it's there for us. And the question is, is that something that's given to us for our entire life or something that's given to us just for a moment, just for a season, just for a day? Well, when you look at Scripture, there's, uh, the answer is really kind of both. If you think about Paul, he had a divine personal assignment that covered his entire life, right? Paul's unique mission was to take Christ to the Gentiles to plant churches all over the world. And that's what Paul did for his entire life. If, uh, if you think about, um, about Abraham, his divine personal assignment was to be the father of many nations. God said, look, I'm going to bless everybody through you if you're faithful. That was Abraham's mission, to be faithful to God so that the entire world would be blessed through him. Uh, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel was set apart by God. His unique mission was to rule over the nation of Israel. He was called to do that from the time he came into the ministry until the time that he died. He had a lifetime unique mission. God may have a unique mission that lasts a lifetime for you, but it's far more likely that your divine personal assignment is, is for today or this weekend or for this summer. Think about it from scripture. A little boy came to hear Jesus preach and what was his unique mission? What was his divine personal assignment? It was to take his lunch, his five loaves and two fishes, and give them to Jesus. Uh, there was a, a woman of, of questionable character who came to Jesus a week before he was crucified, and she took a bottle of incredible, incredibly pricey perfume, expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet. Uh, that was her unique mission, her divine personal assignment. There were four guys in Capernaum who had a friend who, who was a paraplegic, who couldn't get anywhere. And their unique mission, their divine personal assignment was to take that guy and carry him to Jesus so that Jesus could heal him, so that that man would be healed, and so that the glory would go to God. Your divine personal assignment, it may be for a lifetime. It may be a lifetime calling. But even if it's a lifetime calling, you're going to have to live that out on a daily basis. There are three things that you need to know about your unique mission, your divine personal assignment. Um, the first is this. God has already prepared you for that assignment. 
He's already prepared you for that assignment. He's done the stuff in your life. Uh, it's not something that you need to train for. It's not something that you need to study for. It's not something that you need to practice. God has already prepared you for the divine personal assignment that he's given you to do today. Now, in the future, he may have a different assignment, and you may need to go to school. God may send you to school in some way for that upcoming assignment. But for where you are right now and the assignment that he's given you, God has already done the preparation. Not only do you have to get a hold of that, you have to accept the mission that God has given you. Did you know that in 171 episodes of the original Mission, Mission Impossible series, in the 35 episodes of the remake that came in the late 1980s, and in the six movies that have been made with the Mission Impossible team, that the IMF, the Impossible Mission Force, that that team never once in those 220 stories, never once did they say, uh, no, we're not taking that mission. We're not going to do it. They get the mission. And the tape says, should you choose to accept it? They always say yes. We don't, though, do we? Somehow Satan convinces us that our divine personal assignment is somehow too dangerous or too important or too insignificant for us to accept that somehow we're not qualified for it or we're overqualified for it. And so we let that tape recorder burn the tape up. We let the chemicals destroy the file. And we continue to live our lives and walk through the park or go to the restaurant, refusing the assignment that God has designed for us specifically. Not only do you have to accept that unique mission, that divine personal assignment, you've got to embrace it. Not just accept it, but embrace it. Can you imagine Tom Cruise or Peter Graves saying, yeah, I know I'm supposed to meet the Russians at 7 o'clock, but my kid has a soccer game today, and I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. Can you, can you imagine them saying, yeah, the bomb's going to go off in 7 minutes, 6.59, 6.58, 6.57, but there's a sale at Kohl's this weekend. I, not only did they accept the, mis the mission, they had to embrace it. And the same thing is true for us. We've got to embrace the unique mission that God has placed on our lives. We, got to, we have to embrace that unique, uh, that unique mission, that divine personal assignment. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if God uh, gave us a tape recorder each day with a tape from him that said, here's your, here's your mission today. Wouldn't it be great if when we walked into work, there was a file folder that, that, that had our, our divine personal assignment for the day? Wouldn't it be great if we got a phone call in a phone booth? Well, there's not phone booths anymore. Um, uh, but if, if we got the phone call and it was Gabriel and he said, hey, here's the deal. God says, this is what you're supposed to do today. He doesn't, though, apart from Scripture. We have to discover it. About 30 years ago, Deb and I moved from Ohio to Maryland, about 550 miles from home. And that summer that we moved to the church that we were at in Maryland, um, we met a family. We met a girl who was going from sixth grade into seventh grade. Her name was Christy. She's a, she was a great kid, good heart, um, but she was from a really uh, difficult family. The family 
was dysfunctional on lots of levels. Christie's birth dad was in prison. Um, her stepdad was uh, engaged in the family, but not really engaged. It, ju- it just was a, a difficult way to grow up. And so Christy kind of gravitated towards Deb and I, and she really kind of became an extended member of our family. When she was 16, we took her on a trip from Maryland and, and took her to a conference that I was attending uh, in Indianapolis. And, uh, and, and she, she stayed in a hotel far nicer than any place she'd ever been before. She saw parts of the country that she'd never seen before. It was an incredibly cool thing, and it was so great to have her along because she was able to help take care of our three kids. At that point, we had three children under the age of four, I think, uh, something like that. And so it was great to have her there. Um, Christy spent lots of time in our house. When she turned 18 and graduated from high school, she was working at a fast food place. And I remember late in the fall when she came to me and she said, she said, Rick, I'm pregnant. And I, w- I want to talk to you, uh, the, the baby's father, and I want to talk to you about, um, about getting married and, um, and making a family for this baby. And uh, I said, okay. We set up a time, and, and Christy and Todd came in, and, and we sat down to talk. And uh, I remember, we, you know, we talked about what they were thinking about the wedding and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and at one point, I said to them, Christy, I- I've got to ask a question. She said, what's that? And I said, have you guys talked together about what's best for this baby? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, have you talked about what's best for this baby? Todd's making minimum wage, not working full time. You're working a fast food place. Are you going to be able to take care of the, this baby in the way that God wants you to? And she said, well, what other options are there? And I said, I said, Christy, I, I know a family that can't have kids that would love to welcome a baby into their home. Um, there, there, are, there are probably hundreds of families like that that I know I could, I could help you get connected with. Christy started to cry, and then she started to sob, and she ran out of my office. I remember just so clearly she ran out. Um, she's just sobbing, reeked inside by the thought of given this, of even talking about the baby this way. There's quietness in the office, and, and after about 20 seconds, Todd looked at me and he said, he said, thank you, thank you. He got up and left and got Christy, and they drove home. We didn't talk anymore about marriage. Um, that was late in the fall. Um, after Christmas, I remember Christy coming and saying, you know what, Todd and I broke up. And I said, oh, that's, that's hard. She said, but my mom wants me to keep the baby. We're going to raise the baby at home with my sisters, with my stepdad. That's, that's what we're going to do. And I said, okay, okay. Um, you know, we love you. We'll be there beside you the whole way. Uh, Easter came, and, and um, at that point, we were doing big, full-scale Easter productions at the church. Christy had been a part of the choir in the past, and... Um, and she didn't sing that year because she was working. At that point, she was working a little bit more full-time. She was, she was pregnant. And I asked her if she would do makeup for, for this production that we did. I remember on Sunday night of that program, we had done a big program. We'd done the, the presentation on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. So it's the last night of the show. I remember sitting in the chair and Christy's putting makeup on my bald spot. And, you know, God, we're, we're kind of going through that whole deal. And she said, she said, Rick, I hope you don't care. 
I'm going to go home, and I'm not going to stay for the program tonight. I said, Christy, you don't, you don't have to make any excuses. She said, no, my legs hurt. My feet are swollen. I said, I'm just not feeling very good. I, as long as it's okay, I'm just going to go home. I said, right, go ahead and go home. Do the program. It was great. People were great. It, w- it was really neat production that, that, that um, centered on the glory of Jesus dying on the cross for us. It was great. Went home, and I'm just kind of in that, in that stage after a production, if you ever did that, where you're just, ah. And the phone rang. And it, this was at a time when you ha- had to actually get up and walk across the room to answer the phone. <laughs> you know, that it really rang. Uh, that did, didn't just vibrate. Um, and it was Christy's sister. And she said, she said we, we need you and Deb to pray because Christy went into labor when she came home. She's at the hospital. They think that they have the contraction stopped. Um, but she's at 26 weeks and in no way ready to, to uh, give birth to a baby. So, okay, so next day I go to the hospital and see Christy and we talk, um, talk about what's going on. And um, almost towards the end of my visit there, she said, she said, Rick, you know that family that you talked about? I think I want them to have my baby. Would you, would you call and see if they're interested? And I said, absolutely. So I go home, and that night, that Monday night, I call this family in North Carolina, and, um, and th- this couple had been a part of the church where we were in Maryland, but th- they had sung in the choir, but they hadn't really been involved in much else. Uh, he was in the military. He, uh, he was at Andrews Air Force Base, and um, they had been there just really for a short period of time, less than two years, and, um, and I said, hey, here's the, here's the deal, Susie. Um, there's this girl uh, who, who is pregnant. She's about between five and six months along. Um, she wants, she's thinking about giving her baby up for adoption, and she wants to know if you guys would like to have this baby. Uh, they, she, Christy didn't know who I was talking to. They didn't know who Christy was. And, um, and, and, and they said, they asked the question that every adoptive couple asks. That's, that's a, just a horrible question. They said, is she going to go through with it? She's 18 years old. Is she going to go through with it? And I said, you know what? I don't know. I, all I know about this girl is that when she makes up her mind, she makes up her mind. And I think that she will. I said, I, you know, we'll know more. They're, they've got the contraction stop. We think it's gonna, uh, she's going to be in the hospital for probably 8 to 10 weeks um, on bed rest. I think it's going to be okay. We'll have some time to talk. And, and they said, um, they said, uh, okay, we'll talk and, and we'll get back with you. That was Monday night. Tuesday late afternoon, I get another call from the hospital and Christy has given birth to a little baby boy, two pounds, 10 ounces. And when I see Christy, this is a few hours after the birth, she said, did you talk to the family? And I said, yeah, uh, yeah, I did. They're, we're supposed to talk again tonight. And she said, she said, well, find out because because we're not going to let that little baby stay in NICU by himself. Either me or my mom is going to be with that baby every day. And as I'm listening, I'm thinking, there's no way she's going to give this baby up if she's there. So I called, I called Susie that night and said, uh, surprise, um, you know, things have changed. It's not going to be eight or ten weeks. The baby was born today. And Susie said, you know what, we want to adopt this baby. And I said, well, um, there's something you need to know because the baby was just born, you need to get here as soon as possible because either either this girl or her mom is going to stay with the baby and every day that they're with the baby, 
the chances are greater that they're going to keep the baby. And uh, Christy had told me that afternoon, she said, she said, if this couple adopts the baby, the baby needs a name because I'm not going down to the NICU unit and seeing the little sign in the incubator that says baby boy and her last name. Uh, she said, the baby's got to have a name. So I, I, I tell this to Susie and Brian on the phone, and they said, they said, okay. They called back about an hour later and said, we can be there in three days. Um, Susie's job, she worked with her husband, and it was such that, that, um, that they could get from North Carolina to D.C., and Susie was able to stay. Uh, I think she ended up staying 16 weeks until, until the, the baby was released. Um, Brian's job was such that he could come and be there every weekend, and I was able to help make connections so that they could stay with a family who wasn't from the church so that they could go every day and be at the hospital. Um, it, it was a pretty incredible thing, and uh, I remember when we went to the, the um, to the, when, when it came time to sign the adoption papers, we met at a hotel in a conference room, and, and um, Brian and Susie came in and signed the papers, and, uh, and they left, and, um, and Christy and the, and the baby's father came in and, and signed the papers as well, and we all started to walk out of the hotel together, and Christy saw the, the, this woman, Susie, that, that was becoming the, the birth mom. And as soon as they saw each other, they knew because Christy had sung in the choir as a teenager, as a 16-year-old kid, when Susie and Brian had been there. Um, they didn't talk because it was a close adoption. They weren't supposed to. But they knew. Ah, it was pretty incredible. Two years later... Susie sends me a, a note and says, can you, can you see if the birth mom is interested in some pictures and some updates on the boy that she gave birth to? So I called Christy, and Christy said, yeah, that'd be cool, but, but he really is their baby. And, but she said, I think that'd be nice. So Susie sends me the stuff. I get it to Christy. Uh, Christy's family just thinks it's great, and they began this process of correspondence to, to bring updates for this baby uh, as, as he grew up. The name that Brian and, and um, Susie chose for this baby was the name Nathaniel. Nathaniel means gift from God. Um, it was pretty cool. As Nathaniel grew up, Susie played for him VHS tapes, video, uh, video tapes of the programs that we had done at the church. And in one of the programs, as we're singing about the resurrection of Jesus, there's Christy in costume singing about Jesus right beside Susie in costume singing about the resurrection of Jesus. Incredible thing. In, uh, when, uh, when Nathan got to be about 14 years old, 16 years old, I can't remember exactly, Christy and Susie through Facebook had gotten connected. They're, they're sharing pictures and staying in touch. Really, really cool thing. They went to the Women of Faith conference together. Susie and Christy. Here's a picture from them at that conference and a picture of Nathan as well. Now, I tell you all that. I tell you that story because it's the story of Nathan. It's the story of Christy. It's the story of Brian and Susie. But it's also the story of my divine personal assignment. It's also the story of my unique mission my calling from God. I was the right person in the right place at the right time who knew the right people to bring together 
this mom who was in a difficult place and this family who couldn't have kids. I am so grateful that God chose me at that point in time, my unique wiring to help that happen. The world changed. Eternity changed because of that divine calling, that divine personal assignment from God. There are four ingredients that you need to know. You know, when you think about being in the kitchen and whipping something together, uh, you know, putting together a cake or whatever you got, you got your eggs, you got your mix, your flour, your all that. I don't know anything about this stuff, okay? This is a whisk, I know that, all right? Um, when, when you're trying to figure out what your divine personal assignment is, what your unique mission is, there are some ingredients that go into that. But if you bring them together, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a tremendous amount of clarity. The first is this, your identity, your natural talents and abilities, your gifts, um, the things that you've experienced in the past. The question to ask, what am I naturally good at? What, what can God use in me that can turn into skills and competencies? What raw materials has God poured into me that he can use because he made me uniquely? Maybe it's your gift of humor. Maybe it's that he's given you the ability to solve quadratic equations. Maybe he has given you a love for the arts. Maybe he has, uh, he's given you a level of detail in your life that shows itself in your sock drawer or in your tackle box or in your pantry because all of your things in the pantry are orderly, alphabetically, according to type. Your socks are all folded the exact same way by color. You know, God's, God's given you that kind of detail. The things that we're talking about in, in, um, in our identity are the things that you do naturally, the things that you do without thinking. They're an extension of the phrase that we talked about last week that comes from Strength Finders, APEST, from Myers-Briggs, from DISC. Your identity is one of those ingredients that God, God uses to help establish your unique mission. Another thing is your passions. What is it that you're most passionate about? What are the things that naturally give life and energy to you, that recharge your batteries in an incredible way? What are the things that you would naturally gravitate to if there was no hindrance of time or money? What are the things that make, you, that make your heart beat fast or that make your heart skip a beat? Those are your passions. What are the things that, as soon as you talk about them, you, your face begins to get animated, you light up, and all of a sudden, everybody around you knows this is something that you care about. Maybe it's helping people overcome their addiction or seeing something that you've planted in the ground grow that you can eat. Maybe it's helping a single mom get her car fixed. Or maybe it's helping a kid hit a curveball for the first time. Maybe it's creating something or connecting people or seeing life transformation in people. Your passion is one of those ingredients that's critical along with your identity. Your burdens is, are, are a third ingredient. What is it that you're most burdened by? What is it that weighs on your heart that shapes your thinking? What is it that makes your heart ache that makes you angry because you see something and you know it could be prevented. Maybe it's an injustice that you see or you read about. Maybe it's physical or emotional pain that you know is not necessary. Maybe, maybe it's a group of people that you see struggle that you're burdened by. It's your burdens, your passions, your identity, 
are ingredients. The last ingredient that's there is the needs that exist in your world. What are the needs that exist in your world? You don't have to be a rocket science or scientist to see them. You look around and they're there. When you look around, what are the things that you, that you naturally see instantly and think, why can't somebody do something about fill in the blank? Why can't somebody do something about clean drinking water for those people? Why can't somebody do something about vaccinations for those kids? Why can't somebody do something about helping people prepare for retirement? Why can't somebody do something about getting smoke alarms in every single house? Why can't somebody do something about helping acclimate immigrants into a new culture? Your needs, the needs that you see, burdens, passions, your identity, they are the things that, divine, that define your unique mission, the things that God has specifically called you to do that's different from anyone else. You put all those four things together, you throw them in the oven at 350 for 30 minutes, and out comes your divine, personal assignment, your unique mission. That unique mission is something that involves action. That do question involves action. It, uh, otherwise, it's not a do it may be, sometimes people say, you know what, my action, my, my, my mission, my unique mission is to observe things and to tell other people. Anybody talk to anybody like that? Don't miss me. If God has created you to observe and tell people what you observe, fulfill that mission. Absolutely fulfill that mission and tell people what you see. But recognize that if you tell something, that doesn't mean that anything is going to change. Because the person that you tell may not have the unique mission of accomplishing whatever it is that you see. If you observe needs, though, if God prompts you because of a burden, if there's something that you're passionate about, do something. Maybe you can't solve hunger across the globe but you can fix a peanut butter sandwich for the kid who lives down the street that you know doesn't get enough to eat. Maybe you can't help every person who struggles to read, but you can help your neighbor. You can go and read at an elementary school or a preschool. Read to those kids. I had you say divine personal assignment a little bit ago. Think about that. Think about what that means. God has given me something specific to do. What more could you want? Amy Beltran is our director of community impact, and she put together a list of about 10 or 12 organizations that are here in, in our area. Some are parachurch organizations, some are just nonprofits. That is, that's on the website, it's in the app. There's a, a link uh, in, in the app to that. I want to encourage you, you know, if you're thinking about what's my unique mission, go to that list and think, has God wired me to interact with any of those? But that list is only 20, 10 or 12 ideas. And God has given each of us a unique mission. Our challenge is to accept it, to embrace it. What's cool is I know that there are a ton of people at Northmont, at Northmont, at North Point, who get their unique mission. There, there are people here who God has wired with this incredible love for kids and bringing them into their family, and that they are adopting kids and raising them. It's the coolest thing in the world. There are people that God has given a heart for kids who are in crisis, that have gone through the process and are registered foster care parents, loving on kids at, at a time in their life where they desperately need some stability. 
There are people here at, at North Point that God has given a heart for people from other cultures that teach ESL classes and help acclimate people into, into our culture here. That's their unique mission. There's a, there's a guy as a, who's a part of the church that I'm convinced that his unique mission is to help the DeWitt High School Band perform because everything he does involves supporting that, that band program. He's there working with the, work, working with the stuff all the time year-round. That's his unique mission, to take the fragrance of Jesus into every crack and crevice of the world. We've got a group of guys that their unique mission is to just come to the church every Wednesday and fix stuff, fix lights that go out, um, uh, troubleshoot uh, problems that exist. They come every week to do that. You know, there, there's a group of people here at North Point that understand their unique design, and their unique design has, has birthed their unique mission, their, their uh, divine personal assignment. There's a gal who's a part of the church here who's a graphic designer by trade. That's what she does. And you know what a part of her unique mission is? She helps design the set stuff that go with our sermon series each time. That's a, that's a part of her unique design and her unique mission. There's another guy who's a part of the church that's, that's meticulous in terms of his detail. He's a pharmacist by trade. He works, you know, that's pretty important that you get the pharmacy thing, you know, that you get the drugs right. Um, you know what part of his unique mission is at North Point? He takes all of the financial information and, and, and puts it into spreadsheets that helps the leadership look at those numbers and have a sense of what God's doing here and where we need to go financially. That's his unique mission. Um, there's, a, there's a guy here that you may have seen when you came in today. His, un, his unique um, identity is that he cares about people and he wants people to come together and, and be connected and to make a difference in life. And so he knows people's names. Uh, you know what his unique mission is? It's to greet people on Sunday mornings. He probably knows the names of more people here at North Point than anyone else because he's just living out the mission that God has given him. In the book More, the author, Todd Wilson, says we need to stop seeing our unique mission as a single thing for a lifetime, but instead seeing it as a sacred stewardship of the opportunities that exist already all around me. God has given you a unique mission that's a sacred stewardship of the opportunities that already exist. And it comes as we act in faith. Paul said, we are God's handiwork, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You discover your unique mission by saying yes to God to something. Don't wait until, you, until you're absolutely sure your unique mission is clear for the rest of your life. Start with the need that you see. Start with the need that somebody makes you aware of and take some steps to meet that need. You may find that when you do that, that that particular need is not in your sweet spot at all. That's okay. Because God will use that yes to further clarify your identity, your burdens, your passions, and needs. God will take your, your willingness to say yes and use that to channel you into that unique mission that he's called for you. I'm convinced that God often has us say yes 
to serving others simply so that we learn how to say yes. Because from the age that we're two years old, we get accustomed to saying no. We say no to things that we don't like. And we say no to things that we think we won't like. We say no to things that we've never tried before. We say no to things that we've done in the past. We say no because we're busy. We say no because we're bored. We say no because the instructions aren't clear enough. We say no because the instructions are too clear. When you see an opportunity, when you see a need, say yes. Let that provide clarity for your identity, for your passions, for your burdens. Let that expose, let that create your unique mission, your divine personal assignment. You know, when, when we live in the world where we're in the center of what God created us to do, we live a life that's incredible. It's incredibly fulfilling because we're doing what God designed us to do. We're not a square peg in a round hole. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I come to give you life and to give it to the full. I come to give you abundant life. That comes from understanding our unique identity and our unique mission and living it out. Next week, we're going to talk about trying to figure out where it is that we do that. Let me just encourage you as we finish today, say yes. Wherever God has you, say yes. Embrace that mission. It's not impossible. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you, uh, this sounds silly to say, but you know us. You know us intimately. You made us, God. You've not missed anything that's happened in our lives. God, you were there at each experience, whether it was good or bad in the past. God, you're, you're the one who put the ingredients in us. And our desire, Lord, is that you would help us see the mission that you created us for, the good works that you prepared beforehand for us to do, and that your spirit would prompt us to say yes. God, and that when we do that, that we would recognize your hand in it at every turn. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.